Hey, and welcome to the Humanity Church Podcast. So excited that you're here. We hope that you enjoy this week's talk and it really connects to your life in a meaningful way. If you're live in the Pomona area, we would love to have you at one of our gatherings at 10 a.m. or at one of our humanity groups that meet all throughout the week all over the city. If you want more information about our community, you can go to www.humanitychurch.com or download our app on your phone on Apple or Android. If you like what you're hearing here and want to continue to support the ongoing work at Humanity, you can text the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977 and give back financially in just about 10 seconds. Hey, and here's this week's talk that was given live at our Sunday gathering at Humanity Church. Jesus, thank you so much for your presence. I ask that you would continue to move this morning in us and through us, that you would speak to us. God, that you would call us up to greater levels of faith and living um, as a result of us being together. So we thank you for who you are and what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you ever noticed in life that that it seems like God seems to play favorites with people? Have you noticed that? I mean, when you look through the Bible, you have all these amazing men and women that we look at and we're like, man, God did all these incredible things through. But for every Moses or Noah, there was like a million other people that weren't a Moses or a Noah, right? That didn't get like an angelic visitation or didn't get some special superpower or didn't get some invitation to do something really big. I know we're not supposed to think that, that like God plays favorites in some way, shape, or form, but let's just be honest. We can just look out around the world and be like, yeah, it seems like some people have all the luck and other people don't, right? During the pandemic, uh, I tried a lot of different hobbies that I was not good at, most of them. And uh, one, of them, one of them that I decided I was just going to like pick up this, and it's ridiculous to even say this, was day trading, right? Like, like, I just thought, let me put a little bit of, I, we don't have a lot of money, but I was like, let me put a hundred bucks into, into Robin Hood and see what we can steal from the rich, right? And, uh, and do our thing. And uh, I was the guy who always like either pulled out too early or put in at the wrong time, right? It was either, it was either like, man, I bought high and then sold high or whatever it may be. And, and then I would look at other people and they'd be like, yeah, I bought AMC stock at a penny and then I sold it for $5,000. You know, I'm like, what? How did that happen? Or they're like, I bought Bitcoin when it was nothing. And now I have $17,000 and I'm paying for my college. And I'm the guy over here that's like, I'm just trying to make like 50 cents. Right. And I'd be happy with that. But it seems like some people have all the luck in, in the game of that. Even spiritually, right? Have you noticed that there are some people that it seems like all their prayers get answered? And you're like, how do do I get that, right? Here you are like on your floor begging God to show up. And other people are like, hey God, it would be nice if I had a Mercedes. And then the next day God's like, here's a Mercedes, right? It's like, how does does this work? How, How do we get into this space where it seems like God favors some and, and doesn't favor others. It doesn't make sense at times. And, and we read in the scriptures that God's love is, is eternal and never ending, but it seems to favor some differently in, in different stories. I mean, we know that he's always with us. We know that he's always present. We know that he's always, always for, the, for us, but it seems like he's more present with others and less present with some. And it messes with us. In, in our spiritual journey of thinking, how do I actually get God's attention? How, how do I actually move to a place where God does for me or engages with me the way that he engages with other, fa- other people? See, it's, it's, so, it's so fascinating to me that 
when people are asked what they're most afraid of in life, that's a question that I ask often in, in my coaching with people. It's like, what are you most afraid of in this circumstance or this situation? And, and then what's the meta fear that's behind that? What's the larger concern or the larger fear that's behind the, the small fear? And it's interesting because they all boil down to very similar things. It's almost always predictable because I think we as human beings have very similar fears. We've just convinced ourselves that we're unique in our fears. And it usually boils down to something like that I might be forgotten or that I might not ever find love, or I might not ever be able to fully live my purpose, or that I might have regrets, or that I might fail, and that might cause me to look bad in some way, shape, or form. And really, all of these fears come back to this fear that, that we're never going to experience the fullness that's available to us. We're not going to experience the fullness of life here and now that might possibly be available. And, and I think at, all, at some level, we all have FOMO spiritually, like that we're going to, there's this fear of missing out of the bigger thing that God could do, wants to do, might do. So my question is, how do we live in such a way that that fear is silenced? How do we live in such a way where that's not the conversation that we find ourselves in on a regular basis? There's this moment that Jesus has with this man in the scriptures in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35, that I always find so fascinating. And I, I keep returning to it because I think there's so much in this passage. But it says this, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what was happening? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And then he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, my man right here, right? Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Yeah. Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. This is such a, a beautiful, powerful moment in the life of Jesus as he interacts with humanity. But it starts off with this very interesting setting because here Jesus is moving from one city to another. He's in transition. He's in travel. He's en route to Jericho. And we know from the next section that what's about to happen is kind of a big deal. Like we have... Zacchaeus, which got his own Sunday school song, right? And then we have his entry into Jerusalem, which will eventually lead to Easter. So this is like a, a big moment that Jesus is about to be stepping into. And I imagine that Jesus has a few things on his mind as he enters into Jericho, as he's getting ready to enter into Jerusalem and meet his ultimate grand finale in the scriptures. And here's the thing. Here's this blind dude on the road having no idea what was happening. He can hear that there's a mob coming, that Jesus is about to be mobbed by a whole group of people. There's this caravan of people that is now following Jesus, and he's wondering what is going to happen. And this guy, he's just doing his blind thing, right? The thing he probably does every day, he's sitting outside the city. He's not even inside the city. He's sitting on the outside, and he's begging. He's begging for money, this is probably something that he had been doing every single day, all day. This is, all the, this is his entire way of life. This is all that he had known of living, was to sit outside of the city and to sit there begging others to support him in some way because this was the only life that was available. This was just another day, another dollar, trying to make it, trying to survive, trying to keep himself alive, trying to make it just one more day. And he hears this crowd approaching, and he, he, he's curious, like, what's happening in the middle of this? 
and they tell him, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. I love this moment because this wasn't like planned or prophesied or scheduled. This wasn't like one of Jesus's big rallies where you're like, of course, everyone's going to come and show up with the sick and the possessed and those who are oppressed and those who are in need. This is just Jesus walking down a road. He's essentially moving from one location to the, to the other. And Jesus happened to walk into this blind man's everyday moment. His everyday situation, his his everyday begging, his everyday longing, his everyday survival. Jesus just happened to walk into it, and he starts to cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And I love it because this blind dude recognizes I have nothing to lose right now, right? He's just like, I got nothing to lose. I'm a blind dude sitting here on the road, so I might as well start screaming out at the top of my lungs, Jesus of Nazareth, please have mercy on me. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I notice when I read through the scriptures is who I most identify with in the passage. Like, where am I in the scene? Because that will often tell me a lot about where my mindset is. When I read through the passage, because when I read through this passage, I don't often tend to identify with the blind person. I tend to identify with the crowd, right? I'm, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm reading this, I'm usually the guy on the side of the road watching this happen. As Jesus walks by, I'm probably with the crowd following him and saying, whoa, this is crazy. Jesus is about to do this thing with this blind man. I am not the blind man begging on the road. In this cast of characters, I generally put myself in the space of the crowd. And not even the jerks who told this guy off. That was not me, right? I'm not that crowd. That crowd's like a whole other crowd. I'm just the innocent crowd who's sitting there going, oh, look at this miracle that's about to happen. I'm probably even like thinking bad thoughts about the people who told the guy to be quiet. But I'm definitely not the guys who tell them to be quiet. I'm just the nice crowd that's at minimum curious about what Jesus is up to in this moment. And I love that of everyone, of the whole caravan, of the whole entourage, of everyone that's surrounding, of the mob that's with Jesus, the one that has the most profound spiritual experience is the blind man. Of everyone that there, it was him who was not expecting this. See, everyone else was expecting a miracle. Everyone else following was like, something's about to happen. Jesus does crazy things. What's going to happen today? Am I going to get healed? Is grandma going to get healed? Is cousin going to get healed? What's gonna, is someone going to get delivered? Is someone going to get released? I don't know what's going to happen. And this was the only guy who was expecting nothing. Literally, he's like, what's happening right now, right? Of all the people, he was the person who probably shouldn't have the miracle, and yet he was the one that had the greatest connection with Jesus. And I'm sure, I am positive that there were dozens of needs in the crowd as well. There were probably all kinds of people in the crowd who were thinking in their head, ah, oh, man, if Jesus could just help me out with this, this, this situation that I'm going on, I got this thing going on back home, I have some financial things that he needs to fix, I have some mental struggles that he could work with, my heart's broken, I have a physical ailment that I need to. I mean, these people were following Jesus for a reason, and they were mobbing him for a reason later on. And so I imagine there were dozens of needs in this crowd, but he was the only one that seized the moment. He was the only one that got Jesus' attention. He was the only one that caused Jesus to stop and to pause and to recognize that he was going to move in that moment. And he recognized that there was no other moment, that this moment was it. That he had to move in some way, shape, or form to get Jesus' attention because Jesus had suddenly walked into this moment and now he recognized that anything was possible because Jesus had stepped into that space. See, I think in our lives For many of us, we miss out on the miraculous movement of Jesus 
in our lives, not because he's not present with us, but because we're not present with him. That we're actually not present with who's in front of us and who's with us and who's surrounding us. And we don't often identify with the blind man, but we are more like him than we know. Of, Of everyone in the crowd, we could probably just look at our lives and go, oh yeah, there's some things in my life that I should be crying out for mercy. There's some areas in my life, in, in my mental thoughts, in my emotions, in, in my physical body, in my spirit that, that should be crying out, have mercy on me, Jesus. But we just don't identify with the blind man in this space. Because like so many blind men at this time, so many of us just get focused on the routine of staying alive. Or what I often call just managing our miserable of just going through the routine of life. Hey, how can, I, how can I make enough money to make sure that I pay the bills this month and to make sure that everything's taken care of? How can, I, how can I make sure that I'm like engaged enough with the people around me that I love, but I'm also not getting hurt and I'm not getting betrayed or abandoned? How, how can I stay ahead, but not get too far ahead where it feels like success and I might fail and I might put myself too far out there and I can't get back? How do we just keep the little that we have so that we don't, lose the very small, scarce bits of, of resource that's available to us. We find ourselves in the just, hey, how can I stay on the road begging? Because that's worked, at least up until now, in keeping me alive. And then we miss the moments where Jesus steps into our everyday moments. When he steps into those moments where we're in survival, where we're just trying to keep by, where we're just trying to keep the status quo moving. And he's longing to make the extraordinary happen. And we're just focused on, hey, how can I make another dollar today to keep this thing moving forward? See, one of, one of my prayers in life, and, and I, I don't always live up to this, but it is a prayer of mine, is that I will never arrive somewhere. Like there will never be an arena in my life where I finally say, I've arrived. (laughs) It's actually always interesting to me when we find ourselves in moments in our humanity groups or, or times of prayer where we go around and there's times to share needs and people say, I'm good. I've done it too. So don't, don't, if you're like, you're that person, don't be like, oh man, like I've done it, right? <laughs> and it, it's, it's always odd to me to hear that from other people. It's not odd hearing it coming out of my own mouth, but it's odd hearing it from other people where it's like, yeah, I think I'm good. I think I've had a great week because here's the thing. When we say I'm good in a moment where anything's possible, what we're literally saying is, hey, I have access to the creator of the universe, to the God of the heavens, to the God of abundance, and in my life, not really necessary. I got it. I'm good. There's not really an area in my life where I think I could use mercy, or I could use grace, or I could use some compassion, or I could use some healing, or I could use some abundance. It's literally just saying, yeah, I, I got it. And let me just tell you, at times it feels easier to just be in the crowd with Jesus, observing everything that he's doing all around us, rather than stepping into the place where we confess that we are the ones with the need, where we are the ones who actually needs an encounter with the God of the universe who is longing to step into our lives. See, when I find myself not having a need, I get a little nervous. I get a little like, Okay, hold on. <laughs> life, life shouldn't be like this. Not because I'm addicted to dysfunction. At least I don't think. You can tell me if I am. But 
it probably just signals to me that I'm out of touch with my blindness, that I'm out of touch with the areas that I need to be crying out for mercy, that I'm out of touch with those areas that are not stepping into the fullness that God has called me into, and I'm probably now just managing all of the misery rather than pressing into what's possible in any given moment with God. See, I would imagine, like I said, that there are others in this crowd as Jesus is walking by that had all kinds of needs, maybe even bigger needs than sight. I don't know. But I imagine that this guy recognized that Jesus was present in this moment. And so he was the only one that cried out at the top of his lungs and said, have mercy on me. And he got his attention because he had nothing to lose. But the powerful thing was that he knew it. He recognized it. He owned it, and he fully stepped into this moment. See, it's, it's interesting what he cried out to God, because he doesn't cry out, hey, Jesus, I need some sight, right? <laughs> he doesn't say, hey, Jesus, give me some eyes. I, I'm a mess, or, or he doesn't, you know, whatever. Maybe he actually cries out, have mercy on me. Now, it's interesting because when, when, we, when someone cries out, have mercy on me, or have mercy, it's usually because they're being punished, or they have something coming at them, or they're about to be hurt in some way, shape, or form, or they have been hurt in some way, shape, or form, and that's when they cry, mercy, right? Have mercy on me. Like, you know the game you played as a kid, mercy, right? Where you just, like, you hit each other, and then until someone cries mercy, no one played that game, only me. But, but the, there's a game called mercy that children play, and... And so it seems like God, in this moment, the way this man has it framed is like God has punished him in some way, shape, or form, or God was out to get him, or God was out to hurt him in some way, shape, or form, like God had been harsh on him all of these years, torturing him with this blindness. See, because mercy is getting something that you don't deserve. When you stand before a judge and you cry, please have mercy on me, you deserve a sentence, but what you're actually saying is, please give me a lesser sentence or let me off because I don't deserve this, but I need to not have this over there. I need to have something different in the middle of this. And it seemed like God is wanting to punish him or hurt him or maybe at best be ambivalent or just walk by. And I wonder if for so many of us, we have that same relationship to God that our internal narrative that keeps us from crying out to him is, well, you know, of course God would want this for my life. Of, of course God would not be interested in healing. He wouldn't be interested in redeeming this area. He wouldn't be interested in, in fully restoring to me what was lost. I mean, he, he, he's, we say he's good, but I wonder for how many of us we live as if he's just okay. And we wonder why we find ourselves crying mercy at times rather than asking for what it is that we need in the moment. See, God is wanting to give us something beautiful in spite of ourselves. I, I love how David puts this in the Psalms in 103. He says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed his transgressions from us. See, I love that this man recognized his need 
and he recognized the character of God. And so he cries out, have mercy on me. See, part of being present with Jesus and stepping into the fullness of the life that you were designed to live, it starts with recognizing the need that we have. And then being willing to speak it out with passion, to humbling ourselves and jumping into the moment fully with unabandoned. Just like, God, I don't know what else to do. Have mercy on me for this need that I have to allow Jesus to transform this everyday moment into the extraordinary so we start experiencing the fullness of life that's available to us in this moment. See, spiritually seizing the day requires a level of humility that many of us are uncomfortable with or unfamiliar with or maybe even at best unwilling to go to. But the second you do, the second you're willing to lay it all down and just cry out, Jesus, I need you, have mercy, he moves. That's the space that he can move in. And when we humble ourselves, the beautiful thing is that there's nothing then that can humiliate us because we've chosen to humble ourselves. See, I wonder how many of us live in shame of all of the areas of needs that we have, and they are humiliating to even think about because we are unwilling to humble ourselves and cry out, have mercy. I'm willing to confess, to speak it out, and to let the chokehold of it go so that we can experience redemption in the middle of this. And so here he is, he, he, he's on the side of the road, big caravan coming, big, like, big entourage with Jesus. He starts crying out, have mercy on me, Jesus of Nazareth. And those who are leading the way start rebuking him. They're like, dude, shut up, right? <laughs> They're like, dude, dude, you are messing with our vibe over here. They told him to be quiet, yeah. right? As he's shouting out. I, I mean, these were probably... Many of them like hardcore disciples of Jesus that were, that were leading Jesus into Jericho, preparing the way, making sure everything was ready. And here they are excited to get Jesus ushered into Jericho like the rock star that he is in the moment. They felt like they were looking good and they were being with this guy and on the journey. And this guy was messing up their worship service. That's what he was doing. He was messing up their worship service. I mean, they're like, we, we have this all planned. Jesus is going to walk in. We're going to part. He's going to have sunglasses on. What up? I'm Jesus, right? I mean, it's going to be this moment. And this guy starts screaming in the middle of this. And here's the thing. I, I'm sure they had in mind all the miraculous things that Jesus could do or might do or was going to do. But it's interesting that the thing that they were so focused on was to make sure that everything looked good and they were having a good time. And don't let anyone mess up that vibe in the middle of this. See, it's interesting that they wanted to make sure that they were having a good time with Jesus, but they were not interested in having a disruptive experience. And I've noticed that when Jesus shows up, in my life at least, it is often a very disruptive experience. Or when I'm looking to get the attention of God in some way, shape, or form, it is a very disruptive experience. This often happens with Jesus. I mean, Jesus is in the middle of like this very formal thing. And then oftentimes a prostitute walks in and he's like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> or he's out with all these people and there's the tax collector that everyone hates. He's like, hey, let's have dinner, right? And I imagine time after time after time, these people are like, you're messing with our worship service, Jesus. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And so these guys started saying, stop crying out. This is not how this is supposed to go. This isn't what Jesus is here for. See, 
I think this man annoyed them so much because what he was doing was reminding them that they too were blind and they were just unwilling to admit it. That they were reminding them of their own needs, of their own areas in their lives that need to be transformed, but their pride would not allow them to cry out mercy as well. And so they would rather follow Jesus in cool and calm fashion then cry out, I need you, please move in my life. Because this man humbled himself, started crying out mercy. And let me just tell you, when you start crying out mercy to God, when you're like, hey, I am humbling myself and I will do whatever it takes to get God's attention to move in my life, there will be people in your life that will tell you to be quiet. There will be people who will tell you in your life, hey, this is too much. This is getting a little too radical. This is getting a little too obsessive in, in, in this space because what you're actually doing is disrupting and interrupting the drowning out of their own needs. You are forcing them to come face to face with their own need for mercy, with their own need for healing, with their own need for redemption, with their own need for a God that moves and transforms. And the louder you yell, the harder it is for them to hide. And so here he is screaming out. And so oftentimes we find ourselves in that space. See, the enemy doesn't need much room to destroy you. He just needs to pacify you with just a little bit of religion. And then you'll be fine. Let's have a nice worship service and let me do a little prayer and let me do a little candle and let me do a little incantation. Let me do a thing here. Let me do my service over here. And this is oftentimes what it sounds like. It sounds like, well, you know, I, I really don't want anyone in my business. Like, I, I really, I like, I, I, and it usually sounds like, you know, I'm just here to serve other people, you know? Like, I, I'm really here, to, I'm a giver. And so I, I just, you know, I want, I want to just make sure that other people have that. I don't want, I don't want to take up too much time. I don't want to, I don't want to be too much of an inconvenience, you know? And, and really, people shouldn't be that close in this. But I do want enough God to be around me to make me feel better. I'll follow at a distance. I'll watch from the side. I'll make sure that no one's interrupting the worship experience, but I don't want to get too close to the power and the presence of Jesus. And that's oftentimes why people feel like they're following Jesus and yet not experiencing the fullness that's available because they're attempting to manage the worship service rather than be interrupted by the power of his healing. And there's a difference between the two. And sometimes we tell ourselves. Sometimes it doesn't even take anyone else to tell us to shut up. Sometimes we just tell ourselves not to shout out. Yes. Like, oh man, if, 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 I, if I let people know about what's going on in my marriage, or if I let people know about this struggle that I have, or if I let people know about what's going on in my finances or around me, I might be judged. I might look bad. Uh, people might think something other than me of what they're already thinking. I'd rather maintain the image than be actually healed from whatever it is that is plaguing my life. And then we start begging for healing and not knowing why it's not coming. This last Thursday, I, was, I had the opportunity just to spend about four hours with this prayer and worship team from Pasadena, and they created this prayer space for pastors just to sit and it was just a great time to like meditate and to pray and to worship and to be with God. It was, it was a really powerful experience. And about halfway through the experience, I was, I was praying and connecting with God and, and talking to him and having this good worship moment. And in the middle of it, I heard God say, get down on your knees, on your face. And I was like, oh, that's really good. I'm going to do that in my heart, Jesus. 
Yes! Yes! So in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, look at me laying down on the floor. Oh, yeah, this is so wonderful, Jesus. Me and you on the floor right here. And he said, no, get down on the floor. And I was like, oh, Jesus, I'm here with all these pastors, right? <laughs> and no one else, everyone else is like having a good little worship experience, right? <laughs> and, 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 and I'm like, but I, in my heart, I promise you, I'm on my knees, right? And, and, and finally, he's like, hey, this is what's getting in the way of what's next. Your unwillingness to just get on your knees, so I like slid off my chair. I like did one of these, you know, like, I'm like, but I'm like standing up with holding onto the back of the chair, like Jesus, we're good, right? I'm on my knee, look at how awesome I am, I'm humble. Everyone else is seeing how humble I am, right? And then, and then he's like, get on your face. I said, get on your face. And I'm like, God, I didn't say anything after that. but. Uh, <laughs> but, but I'm like, ah, oh, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I get down on my face, and, and all I heard was, was that that hard? Oh, man. Oh, man. Was it that hard? Wow. And, and I felt like he said, this is what, this is what gets in the way, oh. is that you would rather have a nice worship service than just get on your face, right, at times oh. in life. Now look, this is not a prescription. We're not gonna have like face down time on Sunday mornings unless God calls you to, right? But it's the attitude of heart, right? That says, hey, am I willing to just keep crying mercy? Even when everything says this is dumb, you're gonna be judged, you're gonna look stupid. People are telling you outside, hey, this is a little obsessive. You need to go do something else, whatever it may be. And this man just keeps crying out. He's like, I don't care. I have nothing to lose. I will keep crying mercy. I will keep crying mercy in the middle of this. And this dude, he was like, I don't care who sees my need. I don't care who sees it. Religion is not going to fix this. Like religious activity, simply walking along the road and seeing Jesus and saying, hey, how's it going? If you can pray for me, that's great. He, he, he starts shouting even louder. See, yes, it's about the journey, but in the journey, you actually have to do something. You actually have to engage God in a way that the two of you come together to have this happen. And when you have people or yourself telling you to limit your vulnerability of your faith, when you have people around you saying that's too much, or you find yourself saying I might be judged, you better start shouting even louder. Yeah. You're just like, no, I, I, I refuse to allow myself to be humiliated by this situation, by this circumstance anymore. It was his shout that got Jesus' attention the second time over all the noise. So this dude was shouting pretty loud <laughs> that he was saying, I don't care what it takes. I am getting Jesus' attention. And then Jesus has a special question for him. After he gets his attention, Jesus walks over to him. I imagine Jesus is like, this is interesting, right? Here's the blind dude screaming on the side of the road, my name. So he pulls over, he talks to this guy, and he asks him this question. What do you want me to do for you? Yes. Which is such a powerful question. It seems like a dumb question. I know there are no dumb questions, but let's be honest. There are dumb questions, right? I remember as a kid one time, we were sitting in this living room with this woman who had this cancer scare, had this massive surgery. Everything had gone wrong. She was in ICU. And in the middle of the story, my dad pauses with like eyes wide open and he says, did you survive? 
Dumb question, right? There are dumb questions. And here he is, blind and begging and can't see, right? And Jesus asks him, what do you want? Right? What do you think he was going to say? You know what? What I really want is, what I, uh, you know, like a walking stick would be great. I have like this stick over here, but it's kind of squiggly. If I can get one of those white ones with the red and the point, that would be awesome, right? <laughs> or, or if he was like, you know what I would love? One of those seeing eye Labradors, you know, like if we can get one of those, that would be awesome. Or if he was saying, you know, like what I could really use is some more Braille options at the market. I don't know what hummus I'm ordering, you know, like it seems silly that he asks him this question, but we laugh. And I wonder that when Jesus comes to us and asks us that question, what do you want if we don't answer the same way? When, Jesus, when we finally get Jesus' attention or we're face to face with him and he's like, hey, what do you want? I wonder if we are unwilling to answer that question fully. See, because I wonder how, how often Jesus asks us, hey, what do you want me to do for your finances? And we just say, hey, could you just get me through this month? Versus like, hey, could you transform how I relate to money and set me free from this pattern of debt that I have found myself in so that I might actually find freedom? See, I wonder when Jesus comes to us and says, hey, what do you want with your marriage? And we're like, you know, could you just like make all of the fighting go away rather than saying, you know what? I want intimacy and love and I want connection and I want great sex and I want all of it, right? And we're just like, you know, could you, could you, just, could you just help us get through the month I wonder when Jesus asks, when he says, hey, what do you want me to do for your career and, and the, the, the path that you have for your life? Could we, we just answer like, hey, could you just deal with my coworkers? Versus like, hey, give me something meaningful to give my life to. And when Jesus comes to us and he says, hey, what do you want for your life? We answer with, hey, could I just survive through this thing? Rather than saying, what I'm committed to is experiencing the fullness and abundance of life. Let me see in this moment. See, because we are hesitant to ask that question because that question will inform us of who God actually is. Because if we ask him, hey, could, could you just allow me to survive? It's a small order. We're never gonna be let down. It's not risky. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of like risk in that question or that answer. It actually requires a level of faith and trust to say, God, what I need is the fullness of life that you have available for me in this space. See, we don't like having an answer to that question because Jesus puts the responsibility back on us to tell him what we want, to tell him what we need, and to tell him the level of faith that we're up for to tell him the level of faith that we're willing to walk by. See, Jesus will never elevate your life to a place where you are unwilling to go. He's willing to, but he will never go further or faster than you are willing to, to go. But your expectations of faith will determine the shape of your future. It will determine what's available to you in this. So when Jesus came to this man and he says, what do I want? I want to see Jesus immediately says, great, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And this, this is always one of the, the, the hardest things to engage from a theological perspective because Jesus says it so often, your faith has healed you. He doesn't say God has healed you. Obviously, God did heal him. 
But what he reminds him of is that while God delivered this power, while it was Jesus, myself, that that, that placed this sight into your life, while it was the Spirit of God that performed the miracle, it was the power of God that, that was released over your life, that created the healing, it was your faith that healed you. It was your expectation. It was your willingness to step into that space. See, could it be that your current situation in life is not as the result of the lack of God's willingness, but it could be that it's the unwillingness to get clear about the question, what do you want from me? And just keep asking it over and over. Like, God, I am committed to this. Would you please move in my life? Would you please heal? Would you please restore? Would you please transform? Over and over and over in the scriptures, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Not God, which messes with my theology. But there seems to be a deep, deep connection between my faith and God's willingness to move. Between my faith and God's desire to actually take me to that space. Because I don't think it's that God doesn't want to. I think that God's like, hey, if you're not up for it, I can't take you to a place that you're not willing to live in. I can't take you to that place. Because it will actually just be too much. But when your faith's ready, let me know. When your faith's ready, let's go there. I'd be up for that. Now, th- let me just say, this doesn't also mean that everything that goes wrong in your life is, a, is due to a lack of faith. This also doesn't mean that like, hey, when you don't get what you want, you, you need to name it and claim it and blab it and grab it harder, right? That's not what this means. But what it does mean is that God wants to meet you in a miraculous way in every circumstance, in every situation, in every place, and he wants to give you sight in the areas that you are currently blind in. See, it's interesting. Every time that I've gone to God with my finances, he rarely gives me money back. But he opens my eyes to the areas where I've been foolish. He opens my eyes to possibilities that I hadn't seen before. He opens my eyes to see resources that are around me. Whenever I say, God, would you, would you work in my marriage? He doesn't zap Marla, right? <laughs> He shows me, oh, here's how I've been participating in this marriage where I've been blind to how I've been showing up with her. When he shows up in in our career and our our life purpose, he he doesn't come and say, hey, let me just move you out of there all the time. (laughs) He oftentimes comes and says, let me open your eyes to some wisdom that you haven't had before. And this is how he moves into power. So you want to change your experience, change your expectations of what God is asking of you. See, God wants to meet you in every single place. And I know, what I know of God is that he is always wanting to do unimaginably more than you could ask for. He is like, hey, you know that that thing that you're imagining? I want to do even more than that. I want to go beyond what you can see. I want to go beyond what that, that nice version to the like kingdom version that I have for your life. And that's what he's calling us into. The question that he's asking us is, are you willing to take the step? Are you willing to take the next step? Are you willing to step into that space? Because the natural result actually isn't sight. I'm telling you, like, like that seems like from our perspective, like, whoa, this dude received sight. That's so huge, right? Like if there was a guy that came into our service this morning and into our gathering this morning and he walked up and he's like, I'm blind. And I'm like, let's pray. And he receives sight. That would be ridiculous, right? We would pack this place out probably in a few weeks. But, but 
You know what the actual miracle was in this moment? It's the very last verse where it says, he went worshiping and everyone started worshiping with him. That's the miracle. That God showed up and all of a sudden people's eyes were switched on like, oh, I'm in the presence of God. See, God's not interested in moving your life to the next level so you can live comfortably and have money and do your thing and be like, you know, your best life now. He's interested in transforming your life so that your worship can be elevated, so that you can start living a life going, oh, of course, I'm in the presence of the God, of the creator of the universe, and that changes how I live in every space. And as a result, it said that everyone around him started worshiping because of his faith. See, are you willing to take the next step to risk it? That you would experience God in such a way that your life would walk into praise. That your life would walk into a realization of who you're with and marvel at who he is and what he does and the expansion of life that he's calling you into and that you would follow him into that. See, this is how we step into this type of life. And there's questions that we have to answer. Like, where is the blindness in your life? Where maybe you've been unwilling to notice, or maybe you are aware of it, and you have just been unwilling to humble yourself and to cry out, God, have mercy on me in this area. Are you willing to be present enough to own it, to recognize it, and to humble yourself and to cry out for God? And then when he comes to you and says, all right, what do you want? That you would answer that with all of the courage and boldness and clarity that he has placed inside of you so that you might step into the life of faith that you were called to. And as a result, your life would be defined by an encounter with the God the creator of the universe, and that from that worship would flow with you and your family and your community and your city and your neighborhoods, and that in that it might transform the world around us. But it starts with us recognizing our blindness and crying out. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that that you come walking into our lives at the most unexpected moments and that you are always, always longing to be present with us. And God, I, I ask right now that you would make us keenly aware of those areas in our life, God, that, that we are blinded in. In fact, right now, I just want you to think of that area for you. It could be something physically, like an actual area of healing that you need, like this man in the scripture. It could be, it could be an area of just emotional struggle that you've had that feels overwhelming. Maybe you feel like you've been this guy just sitting on the streets, begging, crying. Something would shift, change maybe. It's with your kids or your career. Or maybe it's something in your spirit or your mind, a thought that you keep having. Maybe, maybe it's something from your past that just keeps coming back up over and over and over again. If you have something in mind right now, 
I'm going to ask you to do something with me and just stand up. If you're like, yeah, I have an area. I'm, I'm clear like what that area is. Just stand up once you're aware, once you're aware of what that is. Just like, hey, yeah, I know, I know the area. I know that area where I need to be crying mercy. I know that area. Again, it could be a physical healing. It could be like emotional thought. It could be whatever it may be. And I'm going to ask you to humble yourself and to let go of all the, all the thoughts around like, oh, you know, if, if anyone heard this or saw this, I might, I might be weird or people might judge me. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to count to three in just a minute. I'm just going to ask you to shout. This may sound weird, but I'm going to ask you to just shout, have mercy. And I want you to own that spot, whatever that is. Whatever that thing is, I want you to like have it in front of you as if Jesus was walking up to you like this man on the side of the road. And, and, he was, and he was just saying, hey, what do you want? What do you want from me? But I want you just to, to we're just gonna cry out on the count of three, have mercy on me as just a symbol of releasing. So we're gonna do it all together. You can decide how loud you wanna be and how, how, how loud God wants to hear you, all right? So let's just cry out on the count of three. One, two, three. Have mercy on me, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you are the God who comes and you have mercy over all of these areas, God. God, over these healings, over these these struggles in minds, God, over these emotions, over these circumstances, over these situations from the past, I ask that you would come right now and that as you ask, what do you want, God? Would you just allow our spirits to tell you right now what it is that we want, God? God, we need healing. We need restored marriages. We need finances to be put back in place. God, we need bodies to be returned to the way you call them to be. And we ask right now, God, for just your spirit to come and give us faith to step into those places, God. Jesus, I thank you for that release right now. And God, I ask that we would become those who meet with you in such a profound, powerful way that we would walk away with our lives filled with praise and awe and wonder at what you've done in us. God, we thank you for the faith that you've released that we may walk in it fully. We thank you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Humanity Church Podcast. We hope that this was a meaningful experience and we look forward to connecting again next week for another conversation around what it looks like to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. Again, for more information about Humanity Church, you can visit us online at humanitychurch.com. And if you want to support the ongoing work here at Humanity Church, including this podcast, you can give online in about 10 seconds by texting the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977. Thanks and have an amazing week.